This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Christian White, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm very excited. I am really excited. I'm excited to talk to you because um, I think you've done a million things since The Nowhere Child. It's been pretty crazy. It's been a, a, an insane year. I haven't really stopped to look back at it properly yet, but it's mm. been very, very crazy. All right. Well, we'll take this opportunity to look back at it now. <laughs> um, let me introduce you. Um, born and raised on the Mornington Peninsula, Christian White is an Australian author and screenwriter. However, before he was an author, he had a range of interesting jobs to keep him busy, including food cart driver on a golf course <laughs> and a video editor for an adult film company. You know, it's great how these researchers just dredge up the past. It's isn't brilliant. It? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I cannot escape it. You know, some some of the people I worked with at the uh, the adult film, you know, I, I try not to say porn place, yeah. the adult film place, yeah. uh, didn't tell their family about it. You know, they they kept it from their parents, and one guy kept it from his grandparents. And I'm so glad I didn't do that because. It would all be out in the open, out, out in the out. open. Now, my dad listens to all of these things, so he there would we know. Go. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you're honest. Um, Christian's debut novel, The Nowhere Child, won the 2017 Wheeler Centre Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Best Unpublished Manuscript, and has since become one of Australia's best-selling debut novels ever. So when was it published? Remind it, it me. It was uh, late June of last year, yeah. so a little over a year ago. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it really has been a sensational book on so many levels. People have loved it. It was well written, it was well received and it hit the charts almost on release, didn't it? Yeah, it was uh, It was unbelievable because I think a, a part of me truly believed that I think even after I had it published, I truly believed no one would actually read it. You know, I, I felt quite uh, quite anxious about explaining to a firm press, you know, apologising, I'm so sorry, yeah. you know, I'm so sorry, you've, <laughs> I've failed you. Uh, but no, it just it just took off and, and in a way that was for me, completely unexpected. Uh, I had written, God, for 15, while I was doing all those crazy jobs, I was I was writing after hours and, and at work and on weekends and all that sort of stuff. And I think for me, I had settled into that reality, that being my reality. You know, I, I loved, I love and continue to love the craft of writing, but I never really expected to find an audience. I hoped I, and I fantasized about finding an audience and fantasized about being published, but I really, even if, even with the publishing deal, I, I assumed that at any moment something would fall apart. Even when actually I remember going in, um, when I signed my first contract uh, with the firm press, I was sitting there and up until the point I saw my, that the title of my manuscript on the page, I was really concerned that, that, that it would be someone else's name or someone else's mm. book and they'd have to say, oh, my God, it's been a terrible mistake. We've, mm. we've read a completely different manuscript. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm forever <laughs> expecting that to happen. Can we have our advance back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I've, I think writing, and I, I've said this before on the podcast, um, 
I think as writers, you you put yourself out there so many times in the process of even just writing one book. Because firstly, you have to explain to family and friends that you're writing. And I bet you people roll their eyes. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then you've got that. And, you know, people thinking perhaps you're a weirdo because (laughs) nobody, the likelihood of you getting published is so unlikely (laughs) that people think, what are you wasting your time for? Then you do get, finally get yourself maybe an agent or a publisher. So then the, the pressure of that and delivering. Yeah, right? absolutely. Then there's the pressure that you just talked about. Is this real? Am I really going to get published? Is this the book they want? And then you put it out there and you've got the reviews. You're waiting for the reviews to come yeah, out. Yeah. And that must be torture. You're reading, you're pretending not to read good reads, but yeah. you secretly are and yeah. getting uh, excited when there's good ones. But then when there's, when there's one bad, it's like you, you run to the shower crying. Yeah, you know? gutted, <laughs> absolutely gutted. And then you're waiting for the reader. To catch on. Exactly, yeah. I mean, really, why would you do it? (laughs) (laughs) We're suckers for punishment, I think. I think um, it's so true when you lay it all out like that. It is, I mean, it's a wonderful process and it's a good, good problem to have, of course. But it is terrifying on multiple levels, and and every time you're waiting, uh, you know, I'm always waiting for that that negative to, to come in. Yeah. You're constantly putting yourself out there, and and I think in a way that's why it took me so long to kind of you know break out. Uh, I'm, I'm, you can't see it. I'm doing quotation marks yeah. um, to to break out because I was the craft was never something that I struggled with. I, I, I love the actual act of writing. I adore, but getting it out there was always that's what always what I struggled with. It was so difficult, and I think it was it was that fear because uh, as soon as you put it out there. Before you've got it out there, you can fantasize about it going really well, and everyone loves it, and you're you're a champ, and it's amazing. But as soon as you put it out there, you risk it failing, and then you're you kind of you've got these dreams that they're so fragile, but mm. but so far so good. But I mean, then oh sorry, go ahead. I know I was going to give you a tip, and I don't think it's a good tip, um, <laughs> but I'll give it to you anyway. When I talked to Lee Child, um, I think it was last year sometime, he said it never gets easier. Well, I've been Sorry. asking. No, I've learned that the hard way because um, I've spent the last year working on the second book. Every author I meet and or run into, I say, oh, it gets, it gets easier after the second book, right? And they yeah. all, every single one have looked me in the eye and just sort of shaken their heads. No, it, get used get used to this. <laughs> yeah. Get used to being uncomfortable for the rest of your career. But it's a good, I think it is, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable feeling, but I think it's a necessary one. I think that, you know, I, I have a, a, a healthy dose of uh, imposter syndrome and and, the, and I think it's, it, it's, it's difficult to manage psychologically, but I do think it's better for the work because I think the moment where I get too uh, confident or cocky, the work will suffer. You know, yeah. I think that, that while I'm obsessing and obsessing over one page before I even show my publisher, that's, I think that's a positive. Mm. I feel that um, I haven't met a lot of confident, cocky writers. No, I know. There, <laughs> there must be some out there, right? But they, I don't no, think so. No, I've no, never come across one. I don't one. think it's the career for them. <laughs> We're all just bundles of nerves. Oh, you are, you are. Let me finish the intro and I want to I talk about what you've been doing for the last year. Nowhere Child was a huge success and we all know that and we've loved it and it went on to be a bestseller. One of the um, best-selling uh, debut novels of all time in this country, which is fantastic. Um, so this is your second novel. It's called The Wife in the Window and it's out today. So congratulations. Thank you. And, of course, it's going to be, without a doubt, as successful as the first. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So <laughs> you're in Melbourne um, and you have a passion, I understand, for true crime podcasts. which Absolutely. I'm, I, You know, I want to touch on as well. Um also Stephen King um, and anything to do with Bigfoot. 
So let's, <laughs> let's kind of pick it up from there. I love the idea of people trying to, uh, you know, understand who I am. It's yes. like, okay, so he likes true crime. Oh, yeah, I follow. Yeah. Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah. Hang on, she, did she say Bigfoot? That yeah. can't, that, I mustn't have heard that right. No, I don't get it either. <laughs> I had to read that twice. Um, so um, tell me what you've been doing this year. Other than writing, because you're doing more than just writing. Aren't yeah, you? well, I've been uh, I've been writing the second book, of course. Yes. But other than that, I have been. This weird thing happened where uh, I had all these sort of uh, pots on the boil for years and years, and then all of a sudden, ever since the book all these things started to boil. So um, as well as the book, I've been working on a my first feature film that I co-wrote, a horror film that wow. called Relic, which is hopefully will be out n- next year, uh, yeah. which has been a, a phenomenal experience. It's got um, some fabulous actors. Emily Mortimer is the star and she's, wow. I, I, I love her. She's amazing. And that's been ridiculously incredible. You know, I went to the set and I just couldn't, I had this weird experience at the set where, you know, it's these, um, it, most of it's, I won't give too much away, but it's a horror film about uh, kind of a manifestation of aged dementia, you know. So it's these three generations of women. There's there's the, the mother and her daughter and her mother. Um, and it sort of explores this idea about when we, you know, when you, you, you your mama, your mum looks after you and then eventually you have to look after her, that kind of tragedy, but it's mm. also a horror movie so there's mm. a monster in it. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's mostly set in this this old spooky house and they, they built it, they built this huge set and I went in there and it was almost an overwhelming experience. I couldn't quite uh, associate this set with what I'd written until I saw this... This tiny in the in the hallway set is this beautiful set, and there's a door, and right above the door, there's this little strip of stained glass window. And for some reason, I stared at that stained glass window and thought, "Oh my god, I wrote that into the script, and someone had to make that and put that in." Yeah. And it was those really little details that just blew me away. You know, I have so many. Uh, in the last year, year and a half, I've had so many experiences. This is one of them being here where I try to act in the moment really nonchalant, like it's no big deal, mm-hmm. cool, as I'm coming on a podcast, no big yeah. deal. And then I go home or I, I call my wife and I'm like, oh, it was really cool. And, you know, I have my, <laughs> yeah. I sort of save my experience. Like, so I looked, so I act yeah. cool, you know. Yeah. And that was one of those moments. Uh, and then as long, as well as that. Um, hang on, I want to go back to the film. So, you wrote it. Yeah, I co-wrote it with um, a fabulous director called Natalie James. Right. And how long had you been working on that? We'd been working on it for, oh, let me think, from beginning maybe five years. Okay, uh, so it's before the book. Well, about way before the book, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we'd been, it had been bubbling away and this strange thing happened where really the, the book and the film kind of started happening right around the same time. So the film didn't happen because of the book? No, no. That it was it was Separate. just on the boil, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think something happened though where uh, all these things that I was trying to happen, trying to get get up yeah. just popped at the same time. I don't really know. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, there's a there's a, a line in a Smith song called, I can't remember the name of the song, but the line is, you just haven't earned it yet. And yeah, I, I just, I I know think, it. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. almost got a, you just haven't earned it yet, baby tattoo yeah. once. And I kind of wish I had of. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think about that line a lot because I think for so long, there was nothing happening. I just think I hadn't quite earned it yet and I think that's uh and then something happened my stars aligned and then uh, pop it all a blockage was released and it and all is came it, out is it just as hard to get a, a film made as it is to get a book made yeah I, it's it's it was a long process it's also with a book I mean they're both really difficult things but yeah. both both wonderful in their own right but it, with a book you are 
working on a final product. Yeah. You know, you're you're slaving away at it and you're it's a huge undertaking and you've got to get all these things right and you have to rewrite it 15 times, but you're working on a finished product where with a script it's this is a very cynical way to put it, but it's sort of it, it's it's a part of the machine, so it's just a document yeah. to kind of get you to the next level. And you know, we, we've got a, a great uh, thing in this country. We've got uh, Screen Australia. You guys have Film New South Wales. We've got Film Victoria, and and they're really supportive. So, but what what you end up getting is. Uh, enough money to, to do certain stages. So we had some development uh, money to okay. write the first script yep. and then we got that and then we got enough to get the second one. And then uh, between that and actually having a real movie is um, is, a, is a huge set. We were lucky to work with some fabulous directors. Uh, Carver Films, they did yeah. uh, The Snowtown Murders and Sunshine, that TV show, Partisan, and they basically, uh, once we got in with them, they were able to, uh, they've got relationships with people overseas. You know, one of our producers is um, Jake Gyllenhaal, oh, who's wow. amazing. Yeah. And the uh, the Russo brothers who did the Avengers film, yeah. so it kind of just started a very very small, but then it it kind of built further and further out, and then and then all of a sudden it was um it was happening. So wow. yeah. And when is that released? I don't have a date, but it'll be next year. It's twenty twenty at some stage. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll have news about certain stuff like that soon, but not uh, not okay. yet. Okay. Yeah. So back to the Norway Child. Tell me how that came to be. That was something that was well, the fifth book I tried to write. You know, I've, yeah. I've been trying to write books forever and it's yeah. a fifth a fifth manuscript I, I started, the second one I finished and the first I thought was anywhere near decent enough to show anyone, to take out of the cupboard. Right. Uh, you know, I was talking about this yesterday to someone where I've recently gone back and looked at all my old manuscripts thinking maybe there's something there that I can bring out and it's, it, they're mortifying. They're so bad and they're bad but because... it's called practice. It's all practice, exactly. And, yeah. and they were really... You could tell exactly who I was reading at that point. I've just blatantly <laughs> ripped cute. people off, you yeah. know. Um, but I do think that's all part of it. I think, you know, with The Nowhere Child, it it took me about two years to write, but in a way it took 15 years because I had to write all the crap out first. You know, I had mm. to write all these bad things before I did something decent. Uh, so, yeah, so when the, the idea for The Nowhere Child, uh, which for anyone who doesn't know is a um, – it's about a woman in Melbourne who's approached by this mysterious American accountant who says, uh, I've been investigating this murder. The, uh, sorry, I've been investigating this kidnap that took place back in the 90s and I think you are the little girl who got kidnapped. And she, of course, thinks that's crazy but then she scratches the surface of her family history and, and finds, without spoilers, finds enough compelling evidence to send her to Kentucky where this little girl went missing. Uh, and, and all of that came from this weird fascination with memory. I, I was having this very heartbreaking conversation with my nan years ago who has dementia, who is that's a theme, uh, and it, I was having this conversation where I was saying, I am your grandson Christian, you know, that's that's mm-hmm. that's your daughter Kira, that, one of those awful conversations. I mm-hmm. think most people nowadays sadly have had some sort of experience with dementia. It's really heartbreaking. And I began to get obsessed with her, how her memories work. And because she has these, she'd have these lucid moments. And in those moments I would think, oh, well, that memory is intact. So, so are her memories intact and she just can't reach them or how does that work? And so what I used to do, and I still do this, but now I can call it research officially, mm. which is one of the best things about writing full time is that you can call stuff research. But at the time... So you can do anything. I can do anything, yeah. <laughs> I can spend a day on the internet going down a rabbit hole and, yeah. and you know, think, and oh, that's, that's a healthy day's yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, at the time before I was published, I was procrastinating with it. But I, begot, I became really obsessed with Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. With this idea of memory, and I came across this theory called Decay Theory, which was actually the original title of the book, The Nowhere Child. Uh, every other person on the planet agreed that it was a terrible title, except for me. I loved it, but everyone said that the title's got to change. Uh, and thank God, because looking back, it is a pretty bad title. Uh, but Decay Theory suggests that our memories fade due to the passage of time, which seems sort of obvious, but as you dig a little deeper, it's it's um, when we when we form a memory, we create create this thing called a neurochemical trace, which uh, I talk about in the book, where it's sort of like a red thread. Uh, I, I don't know why it's red. In my yeah. mind, it's red yeah. uh, that you pull on to access the memories. Uh, but over time, that thread can fray and eventually break, so you don't have access to that memory anymore. But it's still a whole thing and it's and it's still just thumping around your head you just can't reach it and as soon as I came across across that idea I just I was fixated I I was so blown away by that idea and I began to think are there memories in my head that would would change who I am because I think memory is 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 our identity it has so much to do with our identity and and who we think we are and who we are uh so I I I kind of toyed, toyed around with this idea of what sort of memory would I find that would change who I am? And then, and perhaps it's because I listen to a lot of podcasts, of true crime podcasts, that very quickly I thought, oh, what if my parents weren't my parents? What if they were my kidnappers? And then so the idea was really born from there. But I really, even then, I, 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 I knew I had an interesting spin on a kidnapping story, but I was really worried about uh, doing there was a generic version of it. There was a version that was really generic and bland and I really didn't want to tell that version, which is why I ended up bringing in another obsession of mine uh, that I researched, quote unquote, which was uh, Pentecostal snake handling, which when you just drop it in a conversation like that, seems like it comes out of nowhere. But Pentecostal snake handling is... Uh, it, it's a it's a re- it's a fringe religion, I'd say, to be nice. Uh, a small group of believers worship God by handling venomous snakes and rattlesnakes and scorpions, and they drink poison. And there's still people. It's a real thing. Um, you know, some of the emails I've got from readers. Uh, I got one saying, snake handling, give me a break. And, I, you know, of course I emailed her back a, a, a novel of yeah. links and information and so it's a real well, thing. Well, you know, I mean, that's what they say often, um, you know, uh, true True stories are, are weirder than fiction. Absolutely, aren't they? you couldn't yeah. make them up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that uh, that's why I sort of, rather than uh, worrying about the amount of time I spend going down these rabbit holes, I kind of nurture that because I have all these little areas that are of interest mm. to me. And, and what I found with the first book and and also the second one, it was by marrying marrying these uh, ideas that you don't think would necessarily go together. Uh, then then you've got a story, you know, then mm. you've got this cool, uh, the, you know, I say that with the second book, I did have a whole other plot line that I wanted to bring in and it it just didn't work. But generally uh, by bringing these sort of 
interesting topics together, you uh, you get something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you finished The Nowhere Child, what what is it that you did with it? First, I the first thing I did was show it to my wife. Okay. Uh, she was actually my my just my partner at the time. Yeah, and, and she, you liked it. You thought, okay, this is yeah, this is working to I some knew, level. I knew it wasn't perfect. I knew yeah. it was too long. Uh, yeah. the the original manuscript was about one hundred twenty thousand words. Yeah, uh, and then I I cut it back to ninety nine, and then through the editing process, it got back to I think about eighty five, eighty six thousand. So I knew it was too long, and I knew it wasn't perfect, and I knew. I think deep down I knew I'd fudged certain details, but I didn't want to admit that to myself. And I certainly didn't admit it to Summer, my wife, when I when yeah. I sent it to her. I was like, just give me your thoughts. Yeah. And if she she of course noticed all the areas that I'd fudged yeah. and and pulled me up on it, uh, which is exactly what you need. I you think do. that for for writers, I think there can be a danger in, in showing your work to someone really close to you because often they will care too much about your feelings to give you the truth. Mm. Uh, but my wife does not have no. that problem. So she <laughs> she pointed out all the good things but much more importantly pointed out all the bad things and also came up with a load of ideas. Uh, um, you know, she, she's Summer is such a, an incredible resource and she's such an, a, a born storyteller. So I do, I go back to that well quite often whenever I'm feeling a bit uh, creatively dry or I have a problem in my work, I'll say, hey, what, what should I do here? And nine times out of 10, she'll come up with, uh, come up with the answer for me, which is mm. fantastic. So once I showed it to her and she gave me all her notes, I went back and addressed them all. Uh, yeah. You know, every, they were all great. Uh, maybe there's one or two things that I didn't address uh, but generally 98% of her feedback I took on board, changed it, spent a bit more time on it. And then I, and then I Googled how to publish a novel, how to get a novel published, you know, it's crazy mm. to think about that now. And actually before I wrote it, I, I'm pretty sure I Googled how to write a novel, you know, yeah, it's yeah. this weird thing. And there was a million, you know, I started to do uh, research, uh, on different publishers that would be, be, that would fit. And I'd heard all these things about, uh, you know, uh, the, the slush pile where you send in your manuscript unsolicited and it gets read by an intern and they hate it so they screw it up and throw it in the garbage bin. So I had all these horror stories in my head and and I, well, I was lucky enough to, for my screenwriting work, I had a screenwriting agent. So I went to them and said, I don't think you guys do books, but what what should you do? And and they said, well, we'll, we'll we can go out to publishers, but it would be great if you were shortlisted in a major competition. And then I, I was a huge fan of Jane Harper already mm. and and she had won the VPLAs uh, earlier and I just had this ambitious idea to, uh, you know, well, I'm just going to enter and see what happens. Uh, and I, actually, I think that's really good advice, entering it, it, competitions. Yeah, yeah, well, I had been, I don't know why, but I'd been very cynical about competitions. Yeah. Um, I just thought, oh, there was thousands of, thousands of entries and and. I was sort of obsessed with this idea of my stuff not getting read, but Mm. I've since learned, of course, it all gets read and being shortlisted for a competition and I was lucky enough to win, uh, it, it, everything changed after that. It just suddenly gets you noticed and allows you to skip Mm. a certain amount of steps. And something really interesting that I found out, uh, afterwards was I I believe there was only 85 or 86 other entries that year Mm. in the VPLAs. And I sort of think, that's a, they're really good odds you know, because you toy around, you always think, oh, the, the odds aren't in my favour and what's the point? And I think, I think by, by entering competitions, well, first off, you, you, you are given a chance to, if you're shortlisted, to raise your profile. But even when you get rejected, it's sort of this, this chance to start 
uh, start getting this, getting a feel for rejection. And it's sort of almost a rite of passage. Well, and, and again, it's practice. Yeah, exactly. You know? Because showing your work to strangers is terrifying mm. and, and send, sending it off to publishers is, you know, it's mm. the it's, it's, it's most gruelling thing ever. And so I think that sending it into competitions kind of, yeah, gets you, like you said, practice. It gets, yeah, you, gets you used to sort of just showing yeah. other people your work and, and maybe you'll get somewhere and maybe you won't. But I think that even when you you get rejected, I think that just means you have to try a little bit harder and you just haven't earned it yet. So you just mm. have to go back to the drawing board or mm. or take certain things on board. And I think that's all, I think it's all part of it. Mm. I really like that line, you haven't earned it yet, baby. <laughs> it keeps yeah, coming back in my it head. Is, it yeah. is, it is really relevant. I quite like it. Um, okay, so you then get the No Way Child published. Now, there is a pro, you know, it very rarely do you get the reaction that you got. I mean, I mean, you know that, don't you? Yeah, I, I was not expecting no. the reaction. And, and, you know, I think 50% of it, of course, you've got to write a good story, but I think 50%. Without a doubt. At, of, yeah, of course. But um, a firm press and my publishers, they uh, they sort of put everything on the line and really went for it. I think yeah, and that made a great such campaign. a huge difference. Yeah, and yeah. we were all sort of they're a very passionate. Uh, they're a very passionate publishing place, mm, uh, and that's very contagious. So you do want to. You find yourself wanting to work really, really hard and get yourself out there and go into bookshops and do all that sort of stuff to kind of really push it. So I think we all had this united vision where we're just going to buckle down and work really hard to get to get it in front of people and mm. it worked you know it was it was the the, re, the response was sensational you know i would get sales reports and and i would assume that they'd got a decimal point wrong and think yeah. oh no th- no you guys have it's not that it's it's yeah. it's 10 you know yeah. you did not it's so it was it was all very uh surprising and shocking and exciting and yeah and and it really was a moment i think um the nowhere child it was a real moment and it was a good year for australian it was fiction such a good year for australian it, fiction it and, was and the thing is we're in this great moment at the minute and and you guys are such a good example of this that there's just so much support for Australian writers mm. and there's so much good stuff coming mm. out of our country. And I, I feel like that that is a new thing. I, I, I think that there's this new movement that uh, – and maybe Jane Harper was one of the, the, the pioneers for that. Yeah, this is, and, and um, uh, Leanne Moriarty course, and all of yeah. them. But I think the success of one Australian author has a domino effect because it brings people – it brings attention to the genre, you yeah, know, if absolutely. you like. Yeah, And so everybody benefits. And readers benefit because they get good stories. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And I think that – that's why I never feel too uh, scared of competition when other big, big crime books yeah. come out – you know, uh, Scrublands came out at the same time, Absolutely. around the same time, and this time Chris Hammer's second book, which I hear nothing but good things. I, no, I haven't mm. got a copy of it yet. Uh, that comes out soon, and I think that competition it, it doesn't scare me at all. I kind of think that well, if someone reads Chris Hammer and, and loves it, maybe they'll read mine and vice Absolutely. versa. And I think that there's this in other industries. There's this element of uh, competition and rivalry, but in the Australian industry, if book industry. Everyone just wants everyone else to succeed. It's well, good for all of us. I think you're dead right. And I think if somebody reads, you know, Christian White and they think, well, he's not going to have another book out for another year, so I need something in between. Exactly. And that's what yeah. happens. You yeah, know, I think it all feeds yeah. back into itself. All right, so tell me about The Wife in the Window. I mean, that's a lot of, did you, had you started writing that? When did you start writing? Because that's a lot of pressure a it year was, later. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. I mean, with the first book, as I said, I didn't think anyone would ever write it, uh, ever read it, and I also thought, there was no real time limit for me. Yeah. You know, I just, I could, I could write this for years yeah. and, and it won't matter. Maybe my mum yeah. will read it. Big deal. You know, whereas with the wife and the widow, firstly, I was on contract. So yeah. I had a deadline, but also I've been getting 
so many emails from readers and they're, they're wonderful. They're so kind and beautiful. And I've met all these people and so many of their emails would sign off. Can't wait for your next book. Can't wait for your next book. Can't wait for your next book. And for a long period while I was pressure, writing it, pressure. yeah, I felt like writing back, well, maybe it'll be rubbish. Don't get excited, you know, because I spent so, so much of the writing. I, I did begin it before, I speak, began writing before the, the Nowhere Child came out, but uh, I didn't have a lot of time. So really most of it was written after it came out. And I started to feel, I think half of that time I was convinced that it would expose me as the fraud. I really am. And that's why I was really anxious about it. And I was worried that, oh, it's it's going to be too much like the first book or not enough like the first book. And uh, it's that it's classic, that pressure. cliche, oh, that yeah. second album cliche. Yeah. Uh, but then I did turn a corner at one point and just thought, I will just just write a good story and and write what, you know, my writing philosophy, which sounds sort of wanky, but my writing philosophy always has been write stuff that I would want to read myself. And I just, as soon as I just buckled down and focused on that, I, I felt I felt free then, yeah. and then uh, and again I helped. I called on my wife to help because there's it's a difficult book to talk about. There's a, there's a big a, a, a relatively large twist in it, yes. and and I knew what I wanted that twist to be, but I didn't know how to get there. And again, I just went to my wife, and we had a big walk, and I said, "Okay, this is what I need to do. How the hell do I do it?" And she came up. She came up with the the we can't talk about it because it's too much of a spoiler. Yeah. But she saved that book, yeah. so that really helped. I had a lot of support, and it's I was a wasn't, great collaboration. Isn't a, it? a great, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've been talking about it recently, and it feels almost like a joint business venture. You know, yeah. we we're, we're, we and she uh, she's a filmmaker and a podcaster herself, and. I try to help her as well, but I do feel, yeah, I, I'm going more to. Helpful oh, I'm you. going to her for advice <laughs> much more than she's coming to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was a terrifying thing, but it was also such a good problem to have. You know, I, I, I had this. Your, your uh, my fantasies sort of adjust each time. So first, I was fantasizing about being published, and yeah. but beyond that was just this white wall. I didn't really think what came next what that meant and and then now I sort of pushed that wall back and now it was okay the sec get the second book written and then have the second book well received hopefully and so far I mean it's just come out today so yes. so time will tell but so far I've, a lot of people have told me it's better than the first book which is music to my ears that's all well, that's what I, I wanted to hear. the early reviews have been fantastic. Yeah which thank god. <laughs> but also too I don't think anything's better or worse I think people need another story by that author mm -hmm. and you know because unique it's a unique voice that comes from every, you know, I mean, I often say this, you can both write a book, you know, you can write a book about the cat sat on the mat and I can write a book about the cat sat on the mat, but it's not going to be the same book. Exactly. And yeah. that's what people are looking for when they're waiting for the next Christian Why? Yeah, I think that's true. And I it think is. when I think about why, you know, certain authors I love, why I keep going back to their work, it's not because they keep giving me the same thing. It's no. because they don't keep giving me the same thing. So I, so and they give you a unique storytelling voice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So I think that uh, that's something I'll just continue to focus on, and I'm sure the third book will be super easy to write. I'm sure yeah. that'll be. It'll just <laughs> I don't flow think out. That's gonna happen. <laughs> Christian White, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app 
join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.